You are listening to the Science of Nutrition. When you start down the road where belief and magic replace evidence and science, you end up in a place you don't want to be. What's happening is that there's a globalization of illness occurring, that people are starting to eat like us and live like us and die like us. Your child will live a life 10 years younger than you because of the landscape of food that we've built around them. We live in a world shaped by food, and then if we realize that, we can use food as a really powerful tool to shape the world differently. Well, I'm uh, speaking with a fellow classmate of mine, Carrie, who recently started a nutrition column on nutrition for the Seattle Times, which is pretty cool, so kudos. And uh, she also writes a blog, nutritionbycarrie.com. You can visit. Carrie's a classmate of mine, and she, in one of our classes, we have to do these. Uh, our professor gives us uh, an assignment. It's like, hey, do kind of go research basically whatever you want come back and give do a paper and, and give a presentation on it and uh, I thought Carrie's was kind of interesting it was about conjugated linoleic acid and grass-fed beef so thanks for talking with me Carrie no problem my pleasure <laughs> so I didn't I purposely didn't look up anything about conjugated linoleic acid or CLA or grass-fed beef so why don't you tell me all about it what what the hell is it okay well conjugated linoleic acid is it's basically, it's actually a collection of different isomers of linoleic acid, which is an omega-6 fatty acid. Basically, there are two isomers that we know have biological activity. One of them is called rumenic acid, and that's because it's actually produced in the cow's digestive system, which is, some of you might know, called the rumen. So basically, these two isomers, one of them's like, uh, you know, cis-9, trans-11-CLA, for those of you who know what cis and tran is. <laughs> It's, they're conjugating. You have to know a little bit of biochemistry I, to understand I, that. I know, I know. <laughs> and I'm trying to think, you know, what, what people might know, what might not know. You know, basically, each isomer of CLA has two double bonds, and they can occur in a variety of positions, and that makes a difference. Um, you know, some of them, that means they're not biologically acti active at all, and others are. Um, the other one they see a lot is the trans 10 cis 12 CLA, and this is important because as they've done studies on what the possible health effects might be, in animal studies and, of course, in humans, um, they have very different effects. So what do, the, what do the studies show with the different isomers of the linoleic acid? Yeah, well, you know, most of the studies have been in animals, and that's not really surprising because that's usually one of the first courses of action when you're testing out something, and which I know some people don't like, but that's how it tends to go. You know, one of the things that's been really hot is whether CLA can help with body composition bodybuilders, people who are really into fitness and really trying to get lean and, you know, low body fat, you know, more muscle mass have looked into this and they found some results with the trans 12, trans 10 cis 12 isomer, but there's also a lot of problems that come along with it. Uh, you know, in some of the animal studies, they found pretty intense cases of fatty liver. Oh, really? So basically, at this point, you know, I would not suggest that anybody go out and take CLA supplements looking to improve their body composition. You might get the results you want, but you might also get some results you do not want. Do you know if they have CLA supplements? Do they sell those at, like, vitamin shops or something? Well, they do. I've never taken them. I mean, no. I've just peripherally kind of heard about it, and that's 
what sort of interested me in doing this paper is, you know, I kind of had this knowledge that, you know, people, you know, a lot of people believe that CLA is like, you know, this magic substance. And I was, of course, aware that grass-fed beef, one of the things that people who are advocates of grass-fed beef and people who produce it certainly tout is that it's got a better fatty acid profile and specifically that it's richer in CLA, which it is. But whether this manifests in tangible human health effects really has yet to be seen. So I know you're not a, I assume you're not like a zoologist or no, animal biologist, but do you know why in your research did you, did you come across why it is that the grass-fed beef, you know, have a different fatty acid profile than, a, than the corn-fed? Yeah, well, part of it, you know, and this has, going back specifically to the CLA, um, basically cows are meant to eat grass. They're not meant to eat corn and other grains. So when you have grass-fed beef and they're eating grass, they have a different pH of their digestive system than do grain-fed cows. And the pH in the rumen and the digestive system of a grass-fed cow is very amenable to the healthy bacterial and microbial population, and that actually includes fungus. But it's primarily bacteria that will act on alpha-linoleic acid, which is very rich in grass, plants, lots of ALA, uh, the bacteria will act on that and convert it to primarily the cis-9 trans-11 isomer of CLA. So you don't see as much of that going on in the rumens of grain-fed animals. You've mentioned, I think, to me personally once or twice that you get, that you get beef from like a farmer. So I, I assume you get the grass-fed beef? I do for, gosh, it's probably been about six years now. Um, we've gotten a quarter of a grass-fed steer from a small family farm outside of Seattle in Duval. And they don't raise a lot of cows. And we get a share, and they're killed on the farm. They're, they're not transported somewhere else, which would really stress them out. They're hung and butchered by a, you know, a butcher in Snohomish. And it's been a great arrangement. I mean, and we, and we do it for several reasons. We do it partly because I enjoy eating beef. I like beef. I don't feel like it's wrong to eat animals. Um, however, I don't feel like there's any reason that an animal who's destined to be food needs to live a horrible life. And if you see pictures, if you read about what goes on on the confined animal feeding operations, otherwise known as industrial beef production, it's not pretty. And why should, it, why should, why should an animal live that way so we can have a hamburger? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. I used to live in, a, I lived in Colorado for a few years right next to a, a town called Greeley, Colorado. I remember reading, uh, before I even moved there, I remember reading about, uh, reading Fast Food Nation by Eric Schlosser, however mm-hmm. you say his name. Yeah. <laughs> I remember he had like a paragraph in there about how like 80% of the beef you eat comes from Greeley, Colorado, because there's just like so many CAFOs there. And then <laughs> like summertime, it feels like a hot day and the wind was right. Oh. You could you could smell uh, all the 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 crap like <laughs> all to, the, to put it politely yeah. <laughs> but you could there you could get a really nice whiff you know from like a whole town over of all these capos and driving by i mean it looks like they're walking around in like this black mud or something but it's, it's not, not mud or else well, <laughs> some of it might be well you know and another thing with that scenario is and i swear you know yes i'm not in veterinary school i'm not a zoologist but i've done like three papers this term have to do with cows <laughs> and I, I think that's enough for my entire grad school career but i did one for an environmental health class on just the problem with antibiotic resistant microbes and 
how that relates to confined animal feeding operations. And you look at those, and if there's resistant bacteria amongst those seas of cows, think about how fast they spread. Yeah, I've heard they take like an insane amount of antibiotics daily, each each cow. Yeah, the problem is, I mean, the big problem is it's used for growth promotion, which seemed crazy to me until I read about it. But um, when it basically it's subtherapeutic dosing. And think about it, like if you're on antibiotics because you're sick and you don't take, you forget to take it every other day or you decide you're better and you stop taking it, that's like the prime scenario. Yeah. It's the worst thing for antibiotic resistant <laughs> and so when you give animals subtherapeutic doses it's kind of the same thing i don't think i've ever had grass-fed beef so is there like a measurable noticeable taste difference or is it just like we're doing this because we we want to do it uh, we want to promote this kind of agriculture but there's really not much difference well i and taste i don't let my taste buds suffer because i'm trying to do the right thing <laughs> um you know, it's funny because they, I know there's been some studies looking subjectively at taste. And one thing about grass-fed beef pretty much across the board, and the studies I read really bear this out, is that it tends to be leaner. And it's because of the way the fatty acids are kind of processed, the mechanisms they go through in grass-fed beef. Um, not as much gets inserted intramuscularly, which is what you think of as marbling. So grass-fed mm -hmm. beef has less marbling. That means it's leaner. So you might have fat, like if you have a steak, you might still see it you know, around the steak, but you're not gonna have as much embedded in, in the muscle meat itself. So some people claim that grass-fed beef is drier, that it needs to be cooked differently. I honestly, we have not found that to be the case. And maybe it's the particular farm, maybe it's the particular grass they eat, but it's it's delicious. And 2009, we took a two-week trip to Buenos Aires, and you know, of course, Argentina, they are known for their beef, mm -hmm. and we partook of quite a bit of this famous beef down there, and it was fantastic, but we're sitting there eating a steak and realizing, this is great, but it's not any better than the beef we have at home. I mean we've we've been so happy with it and like i said it's not just because we're trying to do the right thing it's better for the environment we're supporting a local business it tastes great it has a better fatty acid profile which again may or may not be making us healthier but to my mind the fatty acid profile is better in grass-fed beef that the studies bear that out it's certainly not going to be worse for you than, than grain-fed beef know but there's no conclusive human studies no there's not and you know really what they've been looking at there's been some studies looking at whether the CLA in beef um, can actually inhibit cancer tumor formation and there have been some promising studies again in animals but it hasn't borne out in humans that doesn't mean there's not an association you know it may take more studies more time Grass is rich in omega-3 fatty acids. Grain is rich in omega-6s. You get a different Grass end. is rich in, wait, back up. Wait, wait, grass. what did I say? <laughs> is, is that true? Grass is rich in omega-3s? Yes, it is. Well, I'll be damned. Yes, and <laughs> grain and grain is rich in omega-6s. So you get a different, you know, as they get broken down, you get different end products. And uh, so basically, yeah, you get more, you get to some extent more of the DHA and the EPA fatty acids that are so good mm -hmm. in grass-fed beef. You know, again, whether that turns into tangible human health benefits, we don't know. Um, another thing is anybody out there who's taken nutrition and metabolism or something <laughs> like that knows that one of the byproducts of omega-6 fatty acids is arachidonic acid. 
which is a fatty acid that's been implicated in things yeah. like inflammation. So It's sort of pro-inflammatory. Yeah. I guess you could say it's pro-inflammatory, even though it doesn't really cause the inflammation. No, no, yeah. it plays a role in it. Whereas when you have cows eating grass, which are rich in more omega-3s, what you're getting is kind of breakdown products that can possibly compete with arachidonic acid. And so you might have a different outcome. You know, again, it's not going to hurt. It yeah. might help. More studies need to be done. And isn't that the case? Isn't we've, yeah, we've learned this term, yeah. yes. More studies need to always be done. more research needs to be done so I can get paid. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, yeah, it's weird how we, it would be really difficult to do something, to do a study really conclusively. Grass-fed beef, I would think. I wouldn't even know how to. You'd need, you'd need a good amount of people yeah. to be eating that. And for what period of time? I mean, that's one of the things with so many intervention studies, with whether it's giving people extra antioxidants or whatnot, what period of time? I mean, does it, do, we, do people need to be eating these things for years for it to sh show up as a positive benefit, or can you do it short term? I mean, that's what, as we were talking about before the tape was rolling, um, you know, the recent publicity about the latest study to show that red meat is bad for you. And, you know, like I ask, what kind of red meat? You know, I mean, the red meat that most people in this country eat is grain-fed beef that's raised in confined animal feeding operations. It has a different fatty acid profile. Who knows what else is different about it? You know, is it that kind of red meat that is bad for us? Or is it red meat across the board? I mean, could it be that I'm completely diluting myself by eating grass-fed beef? Possibly. Yeah. Well, are we talking like beef jerky? highly processed and using preservatives and are we talking about mcdonald's are we talking about like a steakhouse yeah there's so many elements that you really can't control for but but a nice lean steak from a cow that ate grass as cows were meant to eat <laughs> and, and you know and also you know part of the aspect is stress and I, I haven't looked into it but i know there's been some research on you know the effects of stress on animals and you know that's one thing i like about the beef i get is that they're you know killed right there on the farm they're not shoved in a big one of those big cattle trucks and moved hundreds of miles. My alma mater, CSU, uh, there's a professor there at Temple Grandin. Oh, yeah. That's done some work on uh, trying to, to make the cows as comfortable as possible, like during slaughter. And yeah, things like the runways they, or the things, the conveyor belts I think they're on and making sure what they're seeing out of the sides of their eyes. I haven't yeah, read anything about have, it for a while. But I haven't either, but this is good, just going from like stories I read in the local paper and the Claire Danes HBO I haven't seen that movie. Oh, it's good. You should check it out. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, and, and again, that's how I feel. I mean, I know there are people who feel like it is really wrong to eat meat. And, you know, pe you know people, I, I endorse those beliefs. People need to act on their conscience. But I feel like if we are going to eat meat, at least let's try to make it as kind of a process as yeah. possible. <laughs> I'll totally agree with that. I mean, I would be a vegetarian if I didn't have ready access to good grass-fed beef. I would probably be at least mostly vegetarian because... Yeah. All right. Anything else about CLA you want to throw in? Not without getting really biochemical, and right. I don't think people want to hear They'll that. just tune out anyways. All right. Well, Carrie, you can visit her again at nutritionbycarrie.com. Thanks for speaking with me. You're welcome.